thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Good evening, lovely listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And don't forget that you can find us on social media because we're actually doing stuff on there now. Um, (laughs) It's so exciting. You know, um, we are busy women who are in practice full time and all sorts of other things. Um, So we, but we made a decision that we would be so much more active and really try and engage with you more on there. So now is the time. Um, You can find us collectively as the Wellness Women um, official on Instagram and the Wellness Women on Facebook. You can find Dr. Ashley as Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. I am the Period Whisperer on Facebook and Dr. Andrea.xo on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our website because on there, there's also all the details about the upcoming 28 day hormone reset, uh, which is uh, starting in just a couple of weeks. Yes. And look, to be fair, I always think, you know, we, we give ourselves a hard time about not being so social, but um, I think, you know, to be fair, and this is probably an insight to us from all of you listening. Um, it really comes down to ego. <laughs> you know, it's both Andrew and I not willing to outsource our own personal voice to someone, you know, posting for us and, and I guess making a facade that it's us there. We, we have this thing about being congruent and about being, um, you know, the integrity and that authenticity. And unfortunately, that just means that like a lot of people outsource their social media. We, wow, we just can't. We've just got to that, like, I don't know. Yeah, even though... Um, you know, we've gone through ebbs and flows of have assistants who help us, but it's still all our own content. Like they're yeah. just the ones that physically put it on the page and 
you know, we're still having like all the, the control of that too. So um, I, I heard something the other day as well, which I thought was quite funny that the people who most, who post the most selfies are the most narcissistic. Um, oh, hey, no judgment to anyone posting <laughs> selfies. I just thought that was really funny. Uh, well, yeah, I think you can see me, my face maybe four times in my entire feed. <laughs> oh. So I think that says something too. Um, uh, I just remembered. We yeah. have, I have two announcements. Okay. Two okay. Yeah. Number one, um, we are on Spotify, which I didn't even know. Oh, so, fantastic. Uh, ladies, you can also find us apart from, you know, the normal podcast mediums that you're using. We are also on Spotify. And I also want to give a very big congratulations to Dr. Ashley, who has officially finished her doula training. Uh, <laughs> Ash, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Look, I mean, something I probably should have done in a month, but it's taken me 18 months. Um, <laughs> that's mum life, right? That's juggling everything. And um, yeah, I, look, to be fair, I actually am really proud of that because um it's an expansion of the space that i i guess i hold sacred which is you know women's women's birthing you know women's the advocacy for you know a healthy positive birth um for the mother and for the child i just um yeah it's all i I don't it comes down to human rights in some strange way i always thought at school when i was joining amnesty and stuff that you know i had this big you know powerful voice for human rights and then i didn't realize that 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 voice i needed was actually like in my own backyard in my own community um for the children being born to mothers that are being pressured in hospital systems so um yeah i am i am really happy about that because it gives me a platform to um to inform and to educate so ladies if you're excited and you know planning children then um yeah please consider you know a well-trained birth doula because there's just so much uh, information they can provide and support you know mentally emotionally in lots of different ways and also some really cool physical skills which ties in because a lot of the foundations of that work you know there's a lot of things that come out of um programs that are aligned with uh, the work of a doula and there's so much chiropractic foundation you would be really surprised if you know mm-hmm. dug deeper there's so many amazing birth workers that are, are chiropractors out there and um and they just you know they can see how a chiropractic skill can translate into a skill for a mother you know at a time of birth which is just amazing so thanks to all the women before me that have um trained other women to do these things and to the lovely vicky hobbs i'll give her a shout out she was actually um, my coach and i'm really grateful because she's uh, definitely you know leading the way here in Perth and I think you know if someone joined up from her program from across the country they would be not disappointed she's amazing really great to work with and um, really coming from an evidence-based um, framework which I think is really powerful in the current climate of um, working with women in the hospital setting. And Ash, I know that we've got her on our um, to interview list for the show at some point. So at <laughs> she's some point, shy though. I can't get her on. So Vicky, if you're listening to this by any chance, we've just called you out. You have to. You <laughs> well, have to we join us now. Keep hand, we will keep yeah. hounding you. That's so yeah. funny. Yeah. We will do an episode um, like definitely devoted to. I think. Uh, or many, many, many um, devoted to really digging into that, which I think is great. Pregnancy, birth, doula, all those things. And just even just what is a doula? Because mm-hmm. people are probably listening like a doula, a what? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But you know what? It fits in the line of, um, you know, po- positive women's health. Uh, and this for me tonight is actually one of those episodes because how often, Andrew, do we hear of um, women saying, oh, yeah, my flow is pretty normal. And then we dive a bit deeper. It's anything but. Yeah, and that was like such a good segue, by oh, the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Not such a smooth transition, so good. Um, and the episodes that we've been releasing lately, we've sort of gone back to our roots a little bit and really just talked um, about how to, a bit of a how-to, how to fix certain things in your cycle. And the questions that have just come up from that is obviously snowballing into the next episodes that we have in this series. And one of the biggest questions that we have is not – 
um, about the short cycle, which is the first one that we, um, you know, recorded in this, but what about light bleeding? Like is light bleeding um, normal? What happens if I only have a period for one day um, or, you know, I don't, I don't even feel one tampon. What does that mean? And then we've also got things on the other end of the spectrum. So this episode tonight is all about normal bleeds. So what is a normal period bleed? What is normal blood quality and what does any variation of this actually mean? And what does it indicate? Because whenever we're, you know, obviously going through a woman's hormonal health history, actually understanding the quality of her bleed is really indicative of what's happening um, in terms of her reproductive anatomy and physiology. Um, it can indicate all sorts of hormonal things along the way too. So it's very insightful stuff. Okay, so uh, just remember, this is a quick little synopsis of what a normal period bleed should be like, and then we'll go into every other kind of iteration of that. So a normal period should start with fresh red blood. It should be heavier for a couple of days. It should taper off to nothing, um, no spotting, no brown blood, no heavy clotting. It should be about four to a maximum of seven days um, in length typically, and you should get about 30 to 40 mils of blood loss on average per cycle. The upper limit of that is kind of 60 mils. We don't want anything more than 80 mils. Uh, and we'll go into like ways of obviously assessing this in a moment and what too little or too much bleeding kind of indicates. Um, but just remember as well that your menstrual blood is not just made up of just blood. It's really highly biologically active tissue that is like, you know, totally enriched with the uterine microbiome. It contains stem cells um, and, you know, obviously lots of other endometrial kind of transudate as well. So it's not just blood that is um, coming out in a period. And if you want to um, go back and listen to the episode that we did on, oh, was it the uterine microbiome or was it something along the lines of um, what is in period blood? Because we really go into into like quite a lot of depth about what that blood actually contains and it's incredible so feel free to go back and have a listen to that um if you wish all right so ash should we talk about color first yeah color and i think you know a question is always about you know how do i know if something's normal and how do i know how much blood i'm losing because a lot of women who are using pads and tampons as well find it very hard to measure you know, they're told, oh, it's eight mils or seven mils or four mils. And then trying to understand, is that normal? Is that too much? Is that not enough? Or I've had women who said, oh my God, I'm such heavy bleeding, but they're only feeling, you know, one um, standard super tampon. It's like, okay, heavy for you, but, you know, in terms of criteria, not the heaviest of flows. So yeah, let's talk about what, what normal can look like. So let's go with color. So that's all, you know, always a good place because it's <laughs> the first thing we see, right? Yeah, and the bleed should be a bright, fresh red blood color, and it should start with that. And that the reason it is that color is because it contains really good amounts of hemoglobin, and it shows that the flow is coming out fairly well. So when it differs from that, so for example, if it comes out with its quite dark red or almost a burgundy color, that to excuse me, that to me indicates that there is some inflammation there um, and there's it contains a lot of prostaglandins as well which is that uh, essentially the pain chemicals that can happen um, with that that menstrual flow too which also indicates to me a little bit of lower progesterone because progesterone and prolactin uh, um, prostaglandins um, have this uh, um, oh what's the word I'm looking for uh, they essentially inhibit each other there's a um, 
inverse relationship. That's what I was going with. Um, it is nine o'clock at night after a massive day, ladies. <laughs> so there's an inverse relationship between progesterone and prostaglandin. So um, that uh, almost that like burgundy colored blood is going to be higher in inflammatory chemicals. And then the blood darkens or the color will darken as it's oxidized. So it's exposed to more air. Um, and that's just because of the, like the hemoglobin there. And um, as it becomes more stagnant, so as the flow of blood changes, it will become more oxidized. So it will become darker or more brown. So many women's period bleeds start with that old brown blood um, and it might and that usually indicates like quite a sluggish flow to start the period off and it's usually quite painful at that time too and that is because again the blood has oxidized if their blood is really dark so it's almost like a black looking color or just extremely dark red often that will be indicative of something like endometriosis because of how much uterine density is kind of shedding away and then on the flip side of that, if the blood is quite a pale pink color um, and it's quite thin as well, this can happen as we go into that perimenopausal change um, and also indicates if someone's not in that kind of um, area where they're going through that midlife transition, this to me indicates some other hormonal imbalances going on as well. Okay, so that's the color. Now let's talk about the consistency. And this is usually, um, you know, is it thin or thick blood? And again, I know that this is quite a difficult thing to sort of quantify for yourself. Um, but if the bleed looks almost watery or thin, again, this can happen normally in perimenopause or again, when we've got some of those hormonal imbalances happening, it can also be a post-surgical thing that can go on as well. So for some women who um, have uh, may have had for example, a, a miscarriage and have a, a dilate and curette, so the DNC, where they essentially do a bit of a clean out of the uterus, it can be normal to have quite thin blood after that. If it's on the other side of that and it's really thick, um, so it's almost like the blood is um, quite gluggy, uh, then this is usually indicates more endometrial thickness and, again, like potential endometriosis as well. Um, and assessing that blood quality um, can be like really tricky depending on what kind of menstrual products you actually choose to use. So, for example, if you're using tampons, things may be oxidizing even before it comes out. Um, menstrual pads are usually the most accurate way of actually assessing the quality and color of the blood because there's nothing that's really stopping that flow. Menstrual cups are definitely the most accurate way for us to measure the amount of blood flow, but sometimes they're not the most convenient for people. People. Um, and research has shown over and over again that women are not that good at actually assessing how much blood flow they've um, they've actually got that happens with each bleed. Uh, Ash, what was the the chart that we were talking about just off air before? Yeah, so I was looking at um, just ways because it's always easy to say, oh, this is what it should look like. But then it's always like, well, okay, so what does that mean to me? And I'm always about like, how can we track, record, measure? Because, um, you know, anecdotal, like thinking back and the, the retrospective view of, oh, no, I think they're pretty okay. It's, it's hard if you don't have a diary. So I'm a big about, you know, keeping a journal, diary, a logbook, whatever, in terms of, you know, there's so many digital apps now that you can store stuff in. I'm still a bit pen and paperish, so that's just me. But 
call me old school, whatever. Um, <laughs> so for me, it's called. No, the- I love it, and I and I love that when women bring in their paper charts because it's so much easier to break things down and to go, oh, this is what was happening here, and we can circle and highlight. And yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, so it's called the pictorial blood assessment chart, and look, it's a really simple printout. Um, you can find it on www yourperiod.ca. Um, you'd have to probably just Google that and it's forward slash abnormal pain, menstrual bleeding, blah, 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 is my period normal. Um, but essentially, you know, just because I was just trying to find something you could print out, but this is uh, a chart you can print out. So it just gives you an opportunity to have a little look. Um, you know, you print out a single page, it covers two cycles. Um, you know, so if you could print a couple of pages, you could keep a nice little record of, um, you know, six months. Um, and what it does, it, it lets you assess, you know, this is only uh, a flow chart for either pads or tampons, which is most, probably the most common way women uh, treat their periods. Mm-hmm. And essentially just shows you, you know, if a pad's got this much bleeding coverage, then it's one point. If it's got this much, five points. If it's fully soaked, it's 20 points. If there's clots and flooding, it's X number. And then so basically you just tally it up. You give yourself points each day. And at the end of the, the cycle, you tally up that total. And because of that, it then gives you a really good measurement tool to then go cycle by cycle. Is it consistent? Is it changing? I've just made some implementation of change in my lifestyle and diet or supplementary changes and then you can see if that's working because sometimes there's symptoms we we measure ourselves on like oh no I still get back pain I still get period pain um, but other things are changing so this is a really good way of, of giving yourself a scoreline to help you know whether or, or not things are changing. And uh, you're absolutely right, Ash. Whenever I'm digging into like a, a menstrual history with a patient and I'm asking them how often are you changing, say, a paddle tampon, um, and it might be, you know, every two hours, but is that a, a super tampon which has completely different absorbency to, say, like a mini? Mm-hmm. And when you're actually changing, is it fully soaked through? And I know that um, sometimes discussing this stuff might be a little bit irky, but it is it is really relevant and it does indicate so much information um, for us that it just helps us to, you know, really take that like appropriate investigative approach as to whether or not your um, period bleed is indicating healthy hormones. As absolutely, well. absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned something, Andrew, as well about, you know, using the, the pad of more accuracy. What does it mean? Because I know that I've been asked this as a direct question, which, you know, I could see the awkwardness was like, um, is that normal? She was talking about how when she has her pad and takes it off, she notices there's a lot of like almost like mucusy, sticky, clotty material sitting on the top mm-hmm. layer um, that doesn't soak into the pad. What does that mean? And I thought that's that's quite common. So maybe you can explain mm-hmm. that. Okay. Uh, so that could potentially be two different things. It's very normal to have cervical fluid in the menstrual blood. Uh, so that can just be the normal, um, you know, like cervical mucus that can also be mixed in with menstrual blood. Totally, totally normal. Clotting again, normal in the in a period bleed. Um, it shouldn't be anything more than say half the size of your pinky nail. Um, so quite small clots are normal. Um, that just happens as the blood starts to slightly coagulate a little bit. But the body also has a- normal anticoagulant chemicals that it applies to the period blood to allow the flow to come out properly. Large clots are. Uh, 
you, I don't consider to be normal. So larger than half the size of your little pinky nail um, usually means that there's some clotting factors present that can't keep that blood in that really nice fluid state. It's usually associated, again, with people who have heavier flows as well, but there can be other things um, going on. The, the other things that I look for when people do have heavier clots is it can actually be an iron deficiency. Now, I know that this sounds counterintuitive, but um, it's all be, all to do with the relationship of iron and hemoglobin, and you'll have more clotting factors and you'll be like have larger clots when iron is lower um it can also be a really common occurrence when people do have endometriosis just because there's so much more endometrial tissue that has to move which increases coagulation factors anyway um, there can be people who do have coagulation disorders and also i see big clots in women who've got liver issues so when there's lots of liver congestion going on, when we're not um, going through those good hormonal detoxification pathways and they're not working really effectively, then usually um, I'll see women who do have much bigger um, clots throughout their cycle too. Uh, so hopefully that will um, that will answer their question, Ash. So a bit of mucus in the period blood, totally normal. Cervical mucus in there, cervical fluids are normal. Um, small, small clots normal, large clots not normal, and that those sorts of things can indicate that. Um, but how heavy should the bleed actually be and this is a question that we get all the time and there is certainly a spectrum um, and again it is a little bit hard to quantify a light bleed or something um, if it's under 10 mils that is hypomenorrhea so this is too light um, anything as far as I'm concerned under 25 mils is too light so normally that may be in, um, indicative of the, of the fact that ovulation may not have occurred in that cycle. And sometimes that can also be bleeds that are less than two days. Um, this Again, this is hard to quantify, but if you are soaking um, one regular tampon, depending on the brand, it usually has the absorbency of about five to ten mils. Um, so often, you know, about five mils. So if you're soaking half a one, then you would just halve that. So that's about two and a half mils. And if you can kind of do the maths for yourself of how many of those are you using throughout, say, one day of your cycle, will kind of help you to um, like quantify how much blood loss you're having. Or if you're using even better, if you're using menstrual cups, some of them even have little measuring sticks along the sides of it, which is excellent, which makes it so much easier to actually see, okay, how much am I, um, how much blood loss have I had this time? I'm emptying it and then just add it up as you go along. Um, now anything more than 80 mils is that's menorrhagia. That's heavy bleeds. That's too heavy. Um, I usually think anything to from sort of 60 mils on kind of is pushing you into that zone anyway. But this can be really different and can differ from woman to woman. So I know that I do have some patients who have quite light bleeds that only last for a few days that may be oh, maybe 25 to 30 mils. They are absolutely ovulating. We have evidence of that via blood tests as well as, you know, all of their amazing cervical mucus changes. They've got all other signs of beautifully balanced hormones, so I'm not worried about the fact that they've got a slightly lighter bleed. That, that's not too much of a concern. Um, sometimes there can be so many different reasons why women have very light periods. It can be um, obviously when the hormones aren't balanced. Um, remember, it's estrogen that builds the uterine lining, and then it's progesterone that stabilizes it and that anchors it in place. And if we're not ovulating, then we're not going to be making like that really good amount of progesterone that anchors that uterine lining and also increases that uterine lining density as well. 
Um, so just just some things to kind of have a think about there will hopefully um, give you some clues as to what's going on for your system. Yeah, and these um, you were mentioning about, you know, obviously volumes, uh, that can change through age and stage, can't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, again, as we're getting into that kind of perimenopausal phase, the first thing that happens is we start to produce less progesterone. So we might be getting lighter bleeds or on the flip side of that, we might even be getting lots of heavy, heavy bleeds as well. Oh, that's the thing I forgot to say before. With the clotting, that can also be indicative of fibroids too. So as um, as we age as well, lots of women are prone to fibroids and that can increase the heaviness of the bleed too, depending on what's happening with their hormones. Um, if women are spotting before the period, so it's kind of, I call it a like fail, failure to launch period, <laughs> it should start with fresh red blood with that full flow. Um, lots of women get that spotting for days before their period. Um, that is usually the sign of a couple of different things. Sometimes it can be um, progesterone kind of uh, like dropping away too early in the cycle, so lower levels of progesterone, which is should be stabilizing that uterine lining. It can also be the position of the uterus as well. So remember the blood flow from the pelvic bowl and through the uterus and the angle that the uterus sits on that it makes with the vagina or with the cervix creates almost like its own little valve so when it's sitting in an appropriate angle, then that valve is nice and open and allows for fine flow through the cervix and down through the vagina. As the flexion increases or the angle of the uterus increases, it closes that valve off. So it means that um, the actual myometrium or the muscles of the uterus have got to contract more um, firmly to actually expel and get that blood flow moving, which is part of the actual mechanism or the pathophysiology of actual period pain in the first place. Um, so that spotting can be um, the position of the uterus that that may be malpositioned and it can be um, those hormonal imbalances too. I often see a bit of a start-stop period or um, sometimes for some women, a bleed only when they're standing. So they might be sitting down, that valve closes, they'll stand up and then they'll get flooding. That's often, again, that uterine malposition, um, which is what we work on every day. Very interesting. And I think, you know, a lot of women uh, find out, you know, either at some point in their life or through pregnancy um, about things like, a, you know, retroverted uterus. Does that have mm -hmm. an influence on blood flow? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I was just talking about there yeah. with that position. So um, an antiverted uterus is much more common. About 80% of women have an antiverted uterus, 20% have a retroverted uterus. Uh, and retroverted uteruses or uteri, uteruses, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure is the plural of that, is more associated with um, a more kind of severe pathology, I should say. Um, we see that more commonly in endometriosis and, and other types of things. Uh, and But it's the angle of flexion. So it's how far away it is from that normal position that is important. Um, and But this can also indicate all sorts of different things with the actual flow of the blood. And women with a retroverted uterus can even get foul-smelling menstrual blood because of uh, a whole bunch of different factors, but it can actually um, almost mix with feces as well um, as the blood um, comes out. So uh, that's why retroverted uterus is much more of a problem. Um, and and foul-smelling menstrual blood as well could also be indicative of infection too. 
Very good. I think that's a pretty good rundown of all things. Uh, totally. Menstrual blood there. Because at the end of the day, like we were talking about this before we started the show, was like how often women um, sort of say, oh, I didn't know that. And I feel like saying, you know, to the ladies listening who think, oh, my gosh, this is all new territory for me, no surprises, right? Because this, you know, I guess incredible art and ancient wisdom that is the menstrual cycle is not really being passed down woman to woman anymore. Um, I know it's n- definitely nothing my mum taught me about. Um, it was almost like, hush, hush, oh, you got your period, here you go. Here's pads and tampons and um, that's all it is. But, you know, it's so, so important that we teach the young women in our life that this is something that is normal, it's to be understood, to explain mm-hmm. what normal is carefully without being icky or embarrassing about, this, you know, embarrassed about the topic um, and to make this conversation so normal that women will use this throughout their lifetime to track and measure their health. And I think if we can do that, then we have the opportunity to completely transform what is normal because um, at the moment the most common thing we hear is, oh, I thought that was normal <laughs> and, yeah, and exactly. it's not. Yep. I, I definitely think that our um, guy, kind of menstrual health and women's health education, even at school, is shocking. Uh, and also so many of just this women's wisdom has been lost over time. Uh, and I, I'm certain that our ancestors and, you know, our great-great-grandmothers probably knew all about it. Uh, and, you know, that's how they also knew about how to track and chart their cycles and how to avoid pregnancy without, um, you know, hormonal contraceptives and everything else. You know, this is ancient or secret women's business, which is why, you know, titled my workshop that in the first place as well. Um, Awesome. I think that there's a a pretty good summation of what normal bleeds should be like though. Um, Ladies, if you've got anything that falls outside of this that you're wondering, is this normal? Feel free to shoot us a message on social media or um, you can email us as well at info at thewellnesswomen.com.au. We'd love to hear from you. Or if you've got any, like obviously women's health related questions, um, throw them at us. Um, We'll add you into possibly our in the spotlight uh, or we can, you know, happily do a podcast episode um, all on that topic if if it warrants that too. Um, Great, Ash, I think that's I think that we're done. Yeah, I think that's, we can that's, go. Yeah, we can we can go a, move on now. I that's, like that's it. A wrap. That's a wrap. Oh. Yeah. Oh, look. Um, I think you know, for me, um, I also wish I'd known some of this stuff earlier. So, I hope that uh, our little small way of touching your ears tonight, today, this morning, wherever you are, is um, yeah, just helping to you know align you with some knowledge that you know most of us have taken decades to finally figure out and gone. Gosh, we'd know that sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I wish I knew now, uh, I, I wish I knew when I was younger what I know now so that I could have, you know, done such a better job of supporting some of my family members and that sort of thing. But obviously there's divine timing too. Absolutely. All right. So, ladies, thank you so much again for tuning in. We love having you with us. Um, please feel free or make sure that you do um, give us five-star ratings only. That, that's all we want um, on iTunes um, and Spotify or whatever it is that you're listening to because we're on there as well apparently. Um, and, uh, ladies, I guess that is all from us tonight. So you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston, who we are the Wellness Women. Uh, and, ladies, until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.